Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. Now, in this episode, Denny and I have been debating about the evolution of the West Coast IPA over the last few years, and I decided to put it to the test. The Mighty Maltos Falcons brought 15 different IPAs across the styles of classic West Coast IPA and modern West Coast IPA. I'm talking with our contest winners vying for a shot to be brewed at Eagle Rock Brewing about what makes their beers winners. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Now through August 31st, boost your brewing IQ with a free book when you join or renew your American Homebrewers Association membership. Choose from three books by some of the best brewing educators. Ray Daniels' Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles, or from Stan Hieronymus, Brewing Local, American-Grown Beer, or For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops. Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to redeem this limited-time offer. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. All right, and welcome back, everybody, and thank you so much for sticking around. Remember, if you talk to any of our sponsors, let them know that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. Now, as I had said up in the intro, IPAs. We know them. We love them. Sometimes we lament that they seem to be the only thing available, but dang it, we love our hops. A couple episodes back, God, I don't even know how long ago now, Denny and I had this whole conversation about where the West Coast IPA is going and gone and is. And I've largely broke it down to the idea that nowadays there exist two West Coast IPAs, one of which is what I call the classic West Coast IPA, which is what I think of and what I kind of grew up with as a IPA drinker. Lots of emphasis on bitterness, plenty of hop aroma, typically fairly pale, but really all about that bitter punch. And then the what I've been referring to as the new West Coast IPA, but one of the ones I had the other day from Radiant Brewing called it a modern IPA, and I kind of like that term, so modern West Coast IPA. Far less bitter, huge focus on the hop aroma, focused very heavily around sort of those tropical fruits, those tropical flavors, so a little less West Coast dank pine bitter citrus, and a little bit kind of more the... West Coast answer to the hazy IPA. 
on the podcast today, I have Jeff and I have Nico because I ran a competition and these two won that competition. So why don't you all say hello? Hello. Hello, everyone. Just to set the stage, what we did with the Maltos Falcons is I had the club enter West Coast IPAs of both ilks, and we had them tasted. To put the picture in your mind of what happened, it's August. It's Woodland Hills. It's hotter than hell. It was actually the Maltos Falcons August member meeting. And this whole thing was designed to find a recipe that would be brewed at our friends at Eagle Rock Brewing Companies. And we had about 30 people in attendance. And like I said, it's Woodland Hills in August, which means it is fairly untemperate. It was, uh, Jeff, what, about 100 degrees in that room, wasn't it? Easily. Everybody was baking. I think Tiffany, who was sitting right in front of me, and Tiffany has been on the podcast as well. I think she was about a half a minute away from turning into a puddle. <laughs> I wasn't that far behind. To complement the 100-degree weather in that building, we tasted our way through seven commercial examples. Maybe it was eight. My memory's kind of fuzzy. Uh, we tried a bunch of different commercial examples just to get everybody in a mindset. And then grand total, 15 entries split between the two styles. The thing I liked that we did about this was we poured all the beers anonymously. So if you go to your usual club meeting, people will pour their beer. They'll be up front. They'll talk about it. Oh, you know, by the way, I did X to the Y to the Z. And you get a lot of very polite commentary and a lot of people are, hmm, yeah, okay, this is, yeah, no, this is a good beer. But you don't really get a lot of honesty and you don't get that chance for the anonymous feedback that we always tell people to go to competitions for. So for this one, I actually set up a Google form since everybody has a little computer in their pocket now and had people enter their scores and comments. And after the tasting was done, Nico's beer and Jeff's beer were both the, the winners of their respective classic and new modern West coast IPAs. And at the end of the day, the club chose to send Jeff's beer forward to Eagle Rock to see what they can do with a new West Coast IPA. First, congratulations, y'all. Oh, it's pretty cool. Thank you. Nico, you had done a classic West Coast IPA. Yeah. Uh, so usually, actually, I do more of a newfangled West Coast IPA. But this time around, since I and my wife both drink and love like a classic West Coast IPA, I decided to do something that was a take on that and sort of featured, you know, key hops that I liked and, and something with maybe a little bit of a tweak, um, but that sort of fit, you know, the citrusy and dank qualities of the hops that were described there. So decided to do, uh, you know, a straight West Coast IPA with Simcoe Apollo, uh, which was kind of a dank hop, and then Denali slash Sultana, whatever they call it, as a way to maybe add like a little, a little tweak uh, to the recipe uh, and not just do something that was, uh, a clone of one of my favorite beers, like like Blind Pig. Well, and to put the name out there, it's Six Demon Bag. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I love uh, Big Trouble in Little China, favorite uh, movie of ours. Uh, our first Halloween, we both dressed up as characters from that. And that uh, Six Demon Bag is um, a, a famous part of the battle against uh, David Lopan, who was the bad guy in that movie. Jack Burton says, stare them in the eye and tell them, yes, the check's in the mail. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I love that movie, too. Now, Jeff, you had gone for the new West Coast IPA, the modern West Coast IPA, and I think you called it, what, Bitto Sunny? Yeah, I, I certainly didn't put as much thought into the name as, as Nico did, but, but I was going for... You know, when I was thinking about this, this style, which I've never attempted before, 
I was going for as, as bright a beer as I could. Um, obviously, I was trying to get as clear as I could, but the recipe in itself didn't lend it completely to that. But, you know, I was just trying to get get the SRM as, as low as I could just, just based on the style. So that was essentially where I came up with that. Yours ended up being somewhere, like, if, if you made me guess, it was like a 2 or 3 SRM. I mean, it was pale. Right. Uh, kind of nice, bright, lemony yellow. Nico, let's go through your beer. Uh, yeah. Y- you somehow very smartly decided to avoid the heat that day. Yeah. Uh, well, a part of my godfather duties had to go to a birthday party for my goddaughter. And so it kind of lucked out that I, I still got the positive news, even though I wasn't there. Although it was pretty hot where I was as well. <laughs> the notes that you had sent me, you said, okay, this is a West Coast IPA brewed with Simcoe, yep. Apollo, Sultana, Denali, fermented with Omega Yeast West Coast Ale. Yeah. And that your grain bill was a split of Weirman Pills and Great Western Turo and just a touch of white wheat malt. Yeah. Tell me, when you normally do a West Coast IPA, is this like kind of your normal base or? You know, I, I do sort of tend to stay away with, for, from crystal caramel, uh, caramel malt in, in, you know, in hoppy beers. I like, I like it a lot in like a multi beer, multi beer like ESB, although, it, you know, it has its place, C15. But I decided, you know, I wanted to do something that was a little malt complexity. So I, you know, the great base that is well, great Western two row, uh, but then add that Weirman Pilsner, which I actually use as usually my base malt in most IPAs, um, but to add a little crackeriness and then wheat for a little bit of body. And then to get that color without having crystal malt, I added just a touch of a very, very tiny bit of Carafa three to add some color. So getting color, but without any of the character. Exactly. Yeah. And then, I'm guessing what you just said, single infusion mash, right? Nothing complicated there. Yeah, actually, uh, for a beer like this, I do tend to do brew in a bag uh, unless I need to get a bigger gravity and then I'll use my uh, my mash ton. Um, So I did it brew in a bag, single infusion, uh, around 151 was the strike temperature and and did it single infusion and then, you know, remove the bag, um, collect as much as I can and, and started the boil. And then, like, no first word hops or anything like that? No. I started it pretty much at a 60-minute edition, half an ounce of Apollo, uh, another half ounce of Simcoe at 20, and then hit a fair amount of hops, like, in the last five to ten minutes. And then I did uh, do a Whirlpool edition of the three, the Simcoe, Apollo, and Sultana, like, when I dropped it to about 180 or so and try to get there. And then a, a fairly heavy dry hop, actually in a keg. It was a little cooler since I added my kegerator. And then I additionally dry hopped it in the serving keg uh, with uh, Simcoe cryo hops, one ounce. Mm-hmm. And that's how I you know, achieved the quality. One thing we didn't touch on, water. Are you doing anything fancy with your water? Uh, no, not too much. I used uh, bottled water, Arrowhead, and then I did tweak it with, I believe, if I recall, four grams of of um, gypsum and I believe two grams of calcium chloride um, just to lean more heavy on the gypsum in a straight West Coast style. Yeah, just that arrowhead and then that those two tweaks to the, to the brewing salts. Why the chloride? Because, I mean, normally we talk about, like, hey, so, you know, Sulfate drops the apparent malt back in, allowing more perception of bitterness. Chloride builds up more of that malt sweetness and perception. It would seem like, hey, you got these two things going at odds. Is there a particular reason you do both? Because my experience in in a lot of the classic West Coast IPAs that I have that I enjoy, 
like Eagle Rock Populist or Blind Pig or the old Green Flash West Coast IPA that they had a bit of uh, malt complexity in the flavor. I thought that might benefit a bit if I really wanted to truly lean old school. You had said on the dry, you, you do a Whirlpool hop at 180, mm-hmm. and a blend of all three. Yes. And then you do a, it sounded like two different dry hops, right? Because you got a dry hop in the fermenter. Yeah. Uh, how, how long and at what temperature? I dry hopped for three days in a keg using a, one of those filter screens, uh, like a hop, the hop tube. And it was actually pretty low. It was like 40-ish, 42 degrees um, for about three days. And then I burped my keg to try to see if I could stir up a bit of, of the hop contact with uh, the beer. I jumped it from that keg to another keg and I had already purged that and had one ounce of Simcoe cryo in the serving keg um, there. And that it's still got that Simcoe cryo in there just because my experience has been that that cryo tends to last in terms of giving a good flavor and aroma for a while in that, in the serving keg. And I'm trying to remember because uh, I, I do know, so some of the comments were uh, nice bitterness, uh, colors a little more golden than they thought the style was appropriate. So uh, yeah. I think that's your little addition of the craft there. Now, one other thing I did think was funny was that, uh, you know, lots of comments about the, the old school hop character, you know, and the amount of bitterness that was in there. But you had made a comment before about, you know, hey, I was really trying to to struggle to get more hop aroma in here. Yeah. And even even still, after after all this work that you were doing, you know, there were still a couple of comments where like going, you know, I'd probably dry hop more. Yeah, I thought about that, you know, whether or not I needed to uh, be warmer and have maybe an extended period of time on my dry hop, potentially doing that as a way to tweak things. The other thing I thought about doing potentially as well is I have noticed like Scott Janish, I think, had shown uh, uh, a dry hop method of actually adding hops to a keg, but actually into the beer and then having a like a dip tube filter that literally fit around the dip tube as a way where you really increase the, the surface area contact uh, of your beer with dry hop as maybe another way to improve things. So those are probably two things I would do to correct. Well, and, th- and that's what initially I thought you were doing is that they make these little stainless steel screens that basically slide over the, the end of your dip tube. Mine was uh, the, the basically that it's like a cylindrical tube that you just throw your hops in and it has a the lid and you throw it in there you try to weigh it down it's the keggers version of a t-ball exactly yep okay now that you've seen the notes come back from people you've had the beer in front of you yourself what do you think that you would do differently i think what i would do differently is perhaps dry hop at a warmer temperature for a little bit longer period of time and also actually when i got the notes i i looked for uh, that just got Janish link uh, to find, um, you know, the manufacturer for for that screen tube that goes directly over the dip tube, um, because I think that's actually a probably a smarter way. You increase service area contact uh, of your beer to the hops, and you filter it out through the dip tube. That actually sounds like a better way to to get hop aroma. Well, and that is interesting because there's also a lot of the stuff that Scott's talked about, and that Denny and I have played around with, and that we're seeing more and more in the professional world, which is saying. Anything more than about two or three days of contact time starts to yield diminishing returns and can actually, you know, suck up some of your IBUs and do some other uh, other interesting things. So I'll be curious to see what experience you get if you do decide to go a little bit longer and a little bit warmer. 
Yeah, no, I, I plan on re rebrewing this and with that addition to the, the tweaks to see what the difference is. And then uh, hopefully I'll have another beer for a, for a meeting in the near future. I won't argue with that concept. All right. Now, moving on from there, that's your old school classic bitter bomb. And like I said, Nico, it's funny that you had mentioned Populous is one of your favorite beers. Yeah, you know, like one of your examples of the style. Because in a lot of ways, that beer did remind me of Eorox Populous. Yeah. It was the very first of the West Coast IPAs that we poured, actually. And straight up, when it came into the glass and I tasted it, it had a very similar back in hop bitterness and, and kind of a little bit of that green leafy thing that I get out of Populous as well. So, yeah. So if that, if that was part of your target, you did pretty well there, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Now, Jeff, onto your bit of sunny, but first uh, I have to say uh, for you've made one reference saying, Hey, you don't, you don't normally brew this style, but uh, other things, I mean, you're a relatively new member to the club. Right. I joined in February of this year partook in the, the Mayfair competition, had some luck there, and I'm actually a fairly new brewer. I started brewing uh, right around my 40th birthday in 2018. I'm, I'm still learning. Um, I'm experimenting, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I started brewing in 1999, and I'm still learning. So, <laughs> well, And you also drive a fair bit of distance, too. Right. Right. I come through the area, and... Um, so that's that's really what um, turned me on to the club. Uh, saw that that um, you guys do this kind of stuff, um, have these these events, and as well as the Friday once a month happy hours, which there's there's a fair bit to learn and and a lot of it can be done uh, remotely. So it's um, it's really refreshing to uh, participate in a club that that does these kinds of events uh, remotely, so that folks from out of town can participate. Well, I have to say, if there was one good benefit to COVID, it suddenly taught everybody the value of a good Zoom practice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about your bit of sunny. Give me uh, give me the breakdown here. What's in the recipe? Sure. So I was brewing a six-gallon um, batch to hopefully net five gallons and was successful at that. Um, straight Pretty simple, 12 pounds of two-row. I use raw uh, two-row, one pound of flaked oats, and one pound of white wheat. That made up the entire grain bill. In terms of hops, I write it about 45 minutes. I hit it with um, uh, Lupamax Citra, which is a 18% of half acids. At uh, hop stand, I um, drop four ounces of um, uh, Citra. Excuse me, that was at uh, zero minutes. I, I, I dropped four ounces of Citra, and then I did I did do a whirlpool um, and just kind of rested everything out for about 10 minutes before I transferred. In terms of uh, water chemistry, I use an RO water, and there from there I built up two and a half grams of calcium chloride, 2.8 Epsom salt, two grams of gypsum, and then I also had just about double that on on the cal chloride, the Epsom, and the gypsum during sparge to make up a right on target 5.3 pH was what I was targeting into the kettle. Right. It was tested all the way through. Yeah, so you got those three hop additions in there. You got one that happens at 15 minutes remaining on the boil, right? Uh, 45 minutes and then zero. Okay, so uh, yeah, you're, okay, so you're doing 45 minutes. 
zero, and then the a whirlpool afterwards. So it's no it's no hop edition during the whirlpool. It's just whirlpooling for twenty minutes. That's right. Okay, that's right. So you got actually a relatively warm edition there, and not doing any of the like the the funny new tricks people are doing. Or uh, like I think Nico, you'd said you you took yours down to one eighty before you did your whirlpool, right? Yeah, yeah. I tried to hit uh, down down to that. So one eighty, one seventy five. All right. Now, and Nico had fermented with the Omega West Coast Ale, which is basically that Chico strain. What did you ferment yours with? So I fermented with uh, Omega OLY 200 Tropical IPA, which given what I read online um, with regard to the entry, I could hit the tropical notes with this with this yeast strain. And it also allowed me to ferment quite a bit warmer than I normally would. It produced the result that it said, you know, on their website that with everybody indicated the pineapple, the mango, the tropical punch. Um, I, I think it delivered. And in fact, that was in a lot of the notes that I saw coming back on it was a lot of people saying, hey, you know, tropical hop flavor, tropical hop aroma. I think if I remember correctly, when I tasted it, I got a lot of pineapple, a little bit of spicy pineapple uh, and a lot of juiciness. Did you do any, any dry hopping then? Yes. So first day into fermentation, um, pop the inch and a half um, opening and then uh, dry hopped uh, two ounces of Sabro. And that was also a lupa max at 19%. And then just a couple more days, drop secondary uh, up the two inch port. And um, just before going into crash, I dropped another ounce of Citra two days before completion. And was that uh, lupa max as well or? Yep. So you're going concentrated hop products all the way way through this bad boy. Right. Right. (laughs) He's out there spending those dollar bills, y'all getting the the results. (laughs) Yeah, I had it. So I figured this was a a good beer to, to, to brew it on. Now I said that, you know, I've never brewed the style. I have brewed a fair, fair amount of hazies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I kind of followed that, that approach with this generally with this batch. Now, did either of you all do any clarifying other than just time and temperature or? Yeah, I hit it um, in the keg with the serving keg with uh, a little bit of gelatin uh, for, for clarity. Yeah, I, I did not because I I always get worried about oxygen and I feel like um, I'm unwilling to sacrifice the, the cardboard or I'm unwilling to sacrifice a clean, non-oxygenated beer for for a little bit of haze. And, and that's a perfectly fair trade-off. Because, again, like I said, uh, to me, this did scream with all that tropical fruit character in it. And what's funny is I did not, I mean, like, a lot of times with Sabro, I get a little bit of woody, no- uh, woody notes or coconutty notes. And, like, I didn't get anything that screamed coconut to me. So I wonder if that just came in as, like, a, a behind-the-scenes behind the base note to kind of pump up all that tropical that we were getting. Right. Same question that, uh, that I asked Nico to you. Since this was uh, your first run through on this, what would you do differently? Um, maybe I'd back off on the flaked oats. Maybe maybe down to a half pound, three and a half percent of the grain bill. Um, that would maybe aid in a little bit more of the clarity earlier. I would. I could definitely probably, give, given my um, efficiency, I could back off, back the whole grain bill down a little bit because. I was, I was, I overshot my fish, my, uh, ABV target a little what, bit. On what was time. your ABV? 6.7. As you remember when we were talking in the, 
and tasting through those commercial examples, I think six, seven would have landed it on the low side because <laughs> it was like six, eight, seven, seven, one, seven, two. <laughs> right. Right. And on my system, I, you know, I, I really have to, um, I brew on a three kettle electric system and, uh, I really have to push it in order to get into the, into the higher sevens or mid sevens even. That's interesting. Is it just because of grain capacity, you think, or? Yeah, I think my efficiency goes down and I just, it's, it seems like it's, it's a longer day. Quite possibly. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for efficiencies to go down as you go up in grain size. Uh, I would would just be a little surprised at that lower level in terms of like 7% alcohol. I mean, you see a lot of people start to talk about, yeah, you know, my efficiency really tanked when I hit around nine and a half percent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Nico was doing brew in a bag. You're doing a three vessel system. Like I usually brew in, in my grandfather now. So that's a single vessel system, but it is interesting to see that no matter the choice of system here, that people are still making really good beers with it. All right. So you'd back off your, your grain, uh, your grain efficiency a little bit, or you back off your grain bill a bit to drop the ABV. You'd also change out the oats. Anything else? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I can't really think of anything specifically. And now, of course, you also get to have uh, the great fun of going over to Eagle Rock and getting this made up on a much larger scale. I'll be curious to see, and maybe what we'll do is we'll revisit this when the beer gets released. We'll see what changes happen between the recipe as you did it now and the recipe as it gets implemented at the professional brewery level. Right. I'm really interested to see if it looks to me like they don't use a whole lot of... uh, Omega yeast over there, so just just in the yeast, if, if the yeast is changed up to something else, maybe a Y yeast, um, what, how that'll how that'll change things? Yeah, it will be interesting to see uh, how it is. I imagine they probably use twelve seventy two because that's right there their house during the the American two. Um, gotcha. See how it goes because uh, I've I mean I've had a bunch of their beers, including some that are sort of new style. Uh, I it'd be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I'm a transformation can come because I've seen some hazy IPA recipes that actually use 1272, and I know they use it. Got it. Yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how you know if if they want a real clear beer, you think they can get there with the 1272, maybe with some fining or what's your thought? There? Yeah, I mean, I imagine so. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just a matter of uh, you know how they clarify, um, but you know they their their clear beers are pretty clear. They they're clear IPAs. I mean that's that tends what be what I what I try there. I know there are going to be more questions. We'll have both the recipes up on the website so people can take a look through. And in the meanwhile, we'll also keep you up to date when the bit o sunny goes on tap at Eagle Rock. Because why not? It'd be fun to have have a beer and see that actual change in growth. Uh, and in the meanwhile, I highly suggest to everybody out there, if you get a chance, do something fun like an IPA competition like this. You know, get anonymous results, get uh, get people to kind of you know bring uh, bring their A game, so to speak. Uh, just take a lesson from us and don't do it when it's a hundred degrees out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, any last comments before I let you go? No, yeah, this is a fun, uh, fun experiment. And actually, I'd be interested to try uh, maybe making something closer to Jeff's beer. Uh, and then obviously trying to experiment with mine and tweak mine. Uh, but it was, this was fun. Right. I really appreciate you putting it on, Drew. And, and I appreciate everybody, you know, tasting the beer and giving the feedback. 
and um, it's it'll be really interesting to see um, what what changes come and and just learn something uh, going forward here, not only with the club but also with with Eagle Rock and how how they take this beer. Absolutely, I can't wait. And like I said, we will let everybody know. And in the meanwhile, remember, go brew. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at two different fantastic takes on the modern West Coast IPA. Check out the recipes on the website and let us know what would you brew for each of those categories. And don't forget, we'll be telling you when the beer will be coming out at Eagle Rock. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the Pongo Fund, helping pets in need. Indeed. Give a buck. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to 5 gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. 